0: everybody, welcome in to the College Football 365 podcast. My name is Don't Count Crowley. I'm joined today by Anthony Azan. Marty uh, is not going to be with us on this show, but uh, he has given us some of his thoughts for our discussion here uh, as he handles uh, some things around the house tonight. But Anthony, it's our first episode of the new year, I believe. That um, it is. Uh, how's your new year been? We're uh, we're almost over a week in now. Uh, How's it been? Yeah, man.
1: Uh, You know, doing well. You know, twenty twenty. Yeah, my goodness, twenty twenty two. You know, had a good uh, New Year's with my girlfriend uh, down in South Carolina. It was a fun time, and yeah, ready to start off this new year, baby. And we're starting off with the national championship in just three days. So, got to be excited for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That that's our main discussion point here. Uh tonight. The national championship between number one, Alabama, and number uh, four. Four? Yeah, number four, three. Georgia. Uh, number three, Georgia. number three, Georgia. Yeah, you're right. Number three, Georgia. Oh, number three, Georgia. Yeah, it's it's been a long it has been a long week. Uh but number one, Alabama, number three, Georgia in Indianapolis on Monday 9, uh, a rematch of the national national championship a couple years ago, but also a rematch of the SEC championship game. We saw just – it's going to be just over a month on Monday. Um, So I guess let's quickly, before we get into the national championship itself, talk about what we saw in the two semifinal games, starting off with Alabama versus Cincinnati. I think that game went – Basically how I expected it to. I did expect more out of Alabama's offense, but I didn't think Cincinnati's offense really had much of a chance coming in the game against Alabama's defense in terms of being able to stay in the game. And Alabama's defense, I think, put together one of their best games of the entire season against um, the Bearcats in the semifinals. Um, it, It was a complete domination. I think is the only way you can truly put it. I mean, it never felt like Cincinnati could get anything going against Alabama consistently after that first drive. I mean, Cincinnati had just six points in the game, um, three coming in the first quarter, three in the third quarter, just 218 total yards. Alabama just smothered the Bearcats all night or all afternoon.
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say obviously Bama dominated this one from start to finish, especially defensively, but I thought all things considered Cincinnati didn't play a bad game. Uh, Their offense was never able to get going against Alabama, which we all fully expected. Let's be honest here, but I thought they had their opportunities. You know, they were, there were points in that game where they were driving down the field. They were, you know, Desmond Ritter was doing okay against that Alabama defense. And they just weren't able to capitalize on those opportunities at the end of the day. But I don't think Cincinnati got thoroughly dominated like the, the storyline's going to be. The scoreline might reflect that. But overall, I thought they did fairly well against Bryce Young. And they held him to under 200 yards passing. They couldn't stop the run game. Brian Robinson had over 200 yards rushing and a couple of touchdowns. And that's what ultimately cost them. But for as much as, you know, Bama did, it was never in doubt for Bama. I don't necessarily think that Cincinnati didn't deserve to be there. I thought anybody that Bama would have played would have had that exact same result. And I thought all things considered, Cincinnati didn't do terrible. Like people thought they would.
0: Well, I 100% agree with you there. I don't think that this should take anything away from what Cincinnati did in the regular season. They still deserve to get there. I mean, yes, the next morning or afternoon when Notre Dame is up 28 Whatever it was on Oklahoma State, you're sitting there wondering, whoa, should have should Notre Dame have been in the playoffs? But then we saw why Notre Dame didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. They blow a what was it, 28-3 lead, and lose like that game. It
1: was like 28-7 in the third quarter or something like yeah,
0: that. They, they blow they blow an insane lead, lose that game. A, 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 a very tough start to the Marcus Freeman era of Notre Dame football. But Cincinnati definitely deserved to be there. Uh, they did keep it relatively close, all things considered, in this game, more so than what we've seen other teams give Bama in the playoffs. Now you can make the argument, sure, that this is one of the weaker Alabama teams of the last few years, but this is still a very damn good Alabama team, still probably the best team in the country, and I think they'll show that on Monday. Spoiler on my end. But, uh, yeah, I don't think this takes anything away from what Cincinnati did this season. Um, Anything stand out to you from the, that game. I know he didn't have a huge game stat-wise, but I thought Bryce Young showed uh, a, a pretty solid game, went 17 for 28, 181, three touchdowns, one and interception. But that was with an Alabama fr- uh, offensive line that kind of got dominated by the Cincinnati pass rush throughout the game. I mean, I think uh, Pro Football Focus, who I, I don't think you should use their grades as gospel, but more as of supplemental information um the pass blocking for the game for Alabama was a 46.3 which is their which was their second lowest of the season only behind their season over against Miami uh so I thought it was impressive what Bryce young was able to do despite the pressure on him throughout the game but while the offensive line struggled in the pass block uh they're Rum blocking was – or sorry, blast protection. Their rum blocking was fantastic. Uh, the Crimson Tide rushed for over 300 yards in the game. Brian Robinson, Jr., 25 for 198 in this game. Um, just a phenomenal game on the ground for Alabama. It allowed them to control the time of possession. allowed them to control the momentum of the game. And it's a big reason why Cincinnati never really had a chance in on this one.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. The story of the day for Alabama was their run game. Brian Robinson came up absolutely huge in this one. Trey Sanders had a good game as the number two running back. Um, like you said, uh, I thought Cincinnati did a good job stopping Bryce Young to an extent. You know, he he had, a, he had a, a solid game, but it wasn't, you know, a Heisman type of performance, even though he did have three touchdowns through the air. Um, and for Bama, I think their defense was also a huge part in this one. Uh, their defense in total had six sacks, including two sacks by Will Anderson, who is... Continuously proving why he probably should have been in New York for the Heisman ceremony, but he's just going to be an absolute superstar um, in college football. And, yeah, just overall, Cincinnati was not able to get anything going. Desmond Ritter was held to 144 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Jerome Ford only 77 yards on the ground, no touchdowns. And I think that's the big story of the day was Bama's defense really came up big and got pressure on Desmond Ritter and didn't allow th- th- that offense to get into a groove.
0: A- absolutely, 100%. Um, I, I think that's really my only major takeaway from the game. It was it was a fun game. It was a good game to watch, uh, but not a huge amount of takeaways just because, for me, it, it's what I really expected. Plus, I want to keep the takeaways short so we can talk about the national championship itself. Let's move to Georgia versus Michigan. Um, and this is, again, kind of what I ex- expected to happen throughout the game. Uh, the problem with Michigan coming into this game uh, for me was that I didn't think the Wolverines were nearly as explosive as enough offensively as they would need to be to have a chance against this Georgia t- uh, team overall. Because while Georgia's offense may not be the most explosive offense in the country, that defense makes it so damn hard for you to score that if Georgia's offense gets – 17 20 points the game's probably over for you. you you really have no chance if you're not explosive and they really didn't face an explosive team this year outside of um alabama really i mean you could you could say florida early on maybe or uh, some other games they had here and there but the the most explosive team they faced this year was alabama we saw what alabama was able to do against them and that. While it's not an incredibly weak secondary, the weakest point of the Georgia team by far is their secondary. And I was there to take advantage of that. Michigan, on the other hand, Cade McNamara, is an, he's a nice quarterback. He, he does things really well when he's asked to do them. The problem is, is he's not that type of quarterback that can expose an opposing defense. Michigan sec, Michigan's wide receiver group is not the type of group that can use blazing speed to – beat georgia's secondary consistently or they, they don't have enough you know intricate routes and so on and so forth michigan's a good team they were a good team this year they just the difference the, between the, them and georgia however is i mean is a couple miles in my opinion and the lack of explosiveness really gave michigan no chance to win this game when you uh look back on it and I'm surprised they even had 325 total yards in that game.
1: Yeah, no. um, Something I was not expecting from this game for Georgia was kind of the total opposite of how Bama won. Uh, Stetson Bennett was the one who actually had uh, the big day for Georgia. He actually probably had the biggest game of his career up to this point. 20 of 30 passing, 313 yards, three touchdowns. Michigan had no answer for him in this one. He was just doing whatever he wanted out there. And the running game for Georgia, which I thought was going to be the main story in this one, actually didn't really do a ton. They almost had 200 yards on the ground, but uh, the leading rusher only had 54 yards on 12 carries. So that was kind of surprising to me. But that just shows that you know they're a complete team and that you know if Stetson Bennett could have a game like that, they have a chance against Bama in the national championship game. And again, just Georgia's defense was consistently getting in uh, McNamara's face. Never gave him an opportunity to get into any sort of rhythm, much like Alabama did with Desmond Ritter in their game. Uh, McNamara only had 106 yards passing. J.J. McCarthy had 131 yards passing. We could talk about that two-quarterback system if you want a little bit and maybe the downside of that. But, yeah, I think the story for Michigan's defense was no sacks. You know, Georgia's offensive line did a tremendous job of maintaining David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson, two of the best defensive players in the entire country. They basically wiped them out of this game. And for Michigan, that's the worst case scenario because you needed to get pressure on Stetson Bennett. If you wanted to have a chance to win.
0: 100%. And to, the one thing that actually did surprise me to a point was that Michigan when they were able to move the ball was actually coming through the air. Um, And we, we can talk about that quarterback system, but uh Yeah, if you're talking about the most disappointed performance out of any group on Saturday or Friday night between the two semifinal games, it has to be that Michigan offensive line. They dominated this year, game after game after game. We saw them bully Ohio State. And then against Georgia, I mean, the Bulldogs were just – it it wasn't even close. The Bulldogs were just ravaging that – Wolverine's offensive line, snap after snap, especially in in, uh, run, in the run defense, it was it was it was phenomenal by Georgia. It was just uh, still kind of shocking how bad the Michigan front offensive line was there was.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and like we said, or if Michigan wanted to win this game, they needed to get their running backs going, Blake Corum. Um, Hassan Haskins. They needed to get those two guys into a rhythm. They needed to get them, you know, to have a big game, and they run for 39 yards and 13 yards respectively. So that that's that's a tough that's a tough day at the office for Michigan. You know, m- a lot of respect to them for even getting this far. You know, that that win against sure. Ohio State they'll cherish forever. But absolutely, you know, at the end of the day, we have the two best teams in the country playing in the national championship game. You know, people are going to hate it because it's SEC versus SEC, but slice it all you want. The truth is Alabama and Georgia have been and are the two best teams in the country playing in the championship game.
0: Uh, I, I couldn't say about it myself. Let's talk about um, that two quarterback system for Michigan real quick. Um, for, Mich- for Michigan, I think – Kate McNamara does a lot of good things. I said that. He's a, he's a good quarterback. The problem is he's not a game-changing quarterback. He doesn't move the needle. Um, you could plug in a lot of quarterbacks in the country, I think, this year into McNamara's spot, and the Rangers still probably have a similar record and still get to the playoffs because that, that's how good their run game was, their offensive line was, their defense was throughout the season. I think they need to hope that JJ McCarthy can step up into a bigger role next season and be that starting quarterback, because I just, I don't see them being as dominant in all other facets of the game as they would need to be to replicate what they had last year with McNamara quarterback. But if you can get a game changer quarterback, like McCarthy, perhaps taking another step, then you could talk about Michigan throwing something together here. But, um, yeah, I think, I think they need a hope for McCarthy to take that step because I don't see it coming out of McNamara. And if you don't see it coming out of either one of them in the spring, you have to wonder if they look at the transfer portal after the spring and hope that somebody noteworthy enters so they can uh, try to take that next step uh, because um, they got the win over Ohio State. That's big for them, but – we saw Penn State do something similar. We saw Penn State come close to being them again over the next few years, but never could. And Penn State's kind of paying the price for it now. You get that one win, it's momentum. You get that second straight win, then you're cooking with fire and you have the potential to put something really nice together. Michigan needs to get that second straight win over Ohio State because if they don't, they they have a chance of falling right back into that rut they were in for the last 15 or so years
1: yeah no I completely agree with that take there first off just commenting on the two quarterback system I've never been a fan of two quarterback systems um I truly I forget who said it if you have two quarterbacks you have no quarterbacks and I I truly do believe that in a sense you need to have that one established guy I understand for the most part it was McNamara and JJ McCarthy was basically used as a battering ram for most of the year, which I still don't understand why you do that to your five-star quarterback. But I digress. Moving forward for Michigan, I think they do need to establish that one guy. I do think that it's going to end up being McCarthy, just because one, he is that five-star guy. You know, if, if he's probably more talented than the McNamara is overall. You know, he's sure. has a year under his belt at this point. I think you, you are going to have to turn over that offense to him and see what he can do. Um, for McNamara, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, with him. Maybe he can beat out McCarthy one more year. Maybe he ends up in the portal. But I do agree with you that as McCarthy is a good quarterback, but he's not that game-changing quarterback that Michigan needs to continuously oh. keep them at this level. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Michigan moving forward. But I do ultimately think that they will turn it over to McCarthy next year because, you got to give you the five star the reins at some point and see what they can do.
0: Absolutely. And we would be mistaken not to mention as we're recording this podcast on Friday, there are rumors that Jim Harbaugh is entertaining the NFL potentially with the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, As of six 15, there has been nothing to report publicly. There are some rumblings on the interwebs regarding uh, Harbaugh uh and what he's likely to do. I'm not gonna, you know, give away any pay for information here. Some people in the NF some NFL writers on Twitter have said that they're hearing something could be coming down sooner than later. We'll see. All I know is if Michigan's gonna keep Hardball. They have, again, recording this Friday night, they have about a forty-eight hour window now to do so. Cause once you get into Monday when every team that missed the playoffs is going to have Going to be firing their coaches Black Monday. Um, that's when things are going to start getting interesting. And things could already start to be getting interesting because let's be honest, uh, if a coach gets fired this weekend uh, from their job in the NFL, this weekend's game isn't going to matter. Uh, those owners have already decided who's going to be fired. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's about 48 hours now. Uh, for something here to get done, I think, before things can really start getting interesting for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh.
1: Well, it looks like we might have to put off our coaching carousel episode until uh, this all settles because, yeah, Yeah, I've seen seen those reports too. And if Jim Harbaugh leaves for the NFL, first of all, that'd be very interesting timing in terms of he just reached the mountaintop and he's like, you know what? I've done what I need to do here. I'm going to move on. You know, you beat Ohio State and you leave on a high note. But, you know, we definitely have to on a later episode, if it does happen, talk about where Michigan looks from there. Um, There's a very limited coaching candidate pool right now because it's so late in the game. But, you know, Michigan is the type of school that they can pull a lot of different people. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter for them. So, yeah, no, it would be very interesting to talk about moving forward.
0: Yeah. Uh I, I will say as of right now, I, I don't think he'll leave. I think if he wants to get back to the NFL and if he does even if he does even above average over the next couple of years, there'll always be opportunities for Jim Harbaugh to be in the NFL. Um so I think I think he'll stay around Michigan for now, uh maybe another three, four, five years, and then I mean, let me look how old Jim Harbaugh is. What'll be very interesting is cause you it's, know, I do think eventually history. Ryan
1: day is going to leave for the NFL.
0: Yeah. Ryan day, I, Ryan day seems like a guy that is destined for the NFL one day. Um, now you ask Ohio state fans, they're not, they're going to say he's, he's never leaving. Um, and yeah, I mean, it NFL or not, it takes some balls to leave Ohio state. Cause if you do well at Ohio state, you have all the job security in the world. And right now Ryan day has all the job security in the world. Um, But, yeah, I do think Ryan Day one day will be in the NFL. Uh, But we'll have to, of course, wait and see on that. Um, And and then quickly, um, the New Year's Six Bowl games um, I thought were great this year. There was a lot of, you know, stuff going around about how there's been opt-outs and everything. But that Rose Bowl was insane. The Fiesta Bowl was insane. Uh, Even the Outback Bowl was good. The Citrus Bowl was good. Uh, it was just not even the the, the major New Year's Six-Day Bowl games, but all the New Year's Day Bowl games were fantastic this year and some really soft football to watch overall. Oh,
1: yeah, no, the games were awesome. I mean, that you, that's usually how it works, right? The playoff games yep. are usually blowouts, and then the New Year's Six games are absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yep.
1: I mean, that Rose Bowl is an instant classic. I mean, you can't, yeah, you, you can't beat that. I mean yeah. –
0: We'll start the with sugar bowl. Yeah, the sugar, the
1: sugar Bowl was, it. obviously, um, I'm glad Matt Corral is not, you know, seriously injured. The reports are yeah. that it's just a like high ankle sprain and it won't affect his draft stock, so that's good to yep. hear. But, I mean, yeah, even that was a good game, even if it wasn't a really offensive performance in that game. But, man, let's we'll, we'll start with that Rose Bowl because that was, yeah. that. I mean, Jack, we knew Jackson Smith and Jigba was good, but, yeah. man, that kid is good like he's I think he's top five draft pick good like that that's an absolutely insane performance let me pull up the numbers real quick
0: sure yeah that we're talking a historic Rose Bowl because of the performance out of uh, him and out of Bryce out of CJ Stroud CJ Stroud was also phenomenal and we're not even talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. who had like what Ten catches coming in the game. He has three touchdowns in that one game. Um, Just a phenomenal game out of uh, both teams. I think if you, I think if Utah doesn't lose Cam Rising, they have a good shot of winning that game still. But um, yeah, what what an incredible game we had! What five touchdowns in a span of three game minutes uh, in the second quarter? Uh, We had a kickoff return for a touchdown. We had multiple blown coverages and. Missed tackles, resulting touchdowns. Just, I was. It was a. If you were a defensive coach, it was a horrible game. Uh, but if you're an offensive coach or a fan that just loves scoring, I mean, it was what almost eighty first half points combined between the two uh, before they found out how to play defense. Oh yeah, it was for a defensive
1: coach. It's an absolute nightmare fuel type of game. But these stats for for. Um C.J. Stroud and Smith and Jigba are just insane. Jackson, Smith, and Jigba had 15 receptions, 347 yards, and three touchdowns. The yards and receptions, I'm pretty sure, are a Rose Bowl record. C.J. Stroud, 37-46, to 46, 573 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, he was just absolutely phenomenal as well. And... All the credit in the world to Utah. Obviously using cam, losing Cam Rising in that game really killed their chance yeah. of winning because it looked like they were on their way to win that game if Rising stays healthy, even with the defense kind of collapsing at the end for Utah. But, damn, I'm just thinking about that touchdown return by Britton Covey. That was absolutely electric. I mean, just at that point in the game, Utah had all the momentum. Yeah,
0: I I thought when that happened, I, I was like – I said to myself, well, oh, yeah. shit!" Yeah, I was like, "Well, shit! Utah's going to win this game." Um, but credit Ohio State after they went down. What was it, twenty-one-seven? They started to look like Ohio State
1: is yeah, supposed yeah. to
0: look because the last two last two games for us, well, the Michigan game, and then the first half or the first quarter against Utah or whatever, um, they did not look like Ohio State but you saw that despite losing Olave and Wilson, Ohio State may have a better duo in Wayden. And that's not even counting guys like Julian Fleming uh, out there who uh, had minimal impact in this game.
1: And Mecca Ibuka, I mean, he's yeah, a Ibuka.
0: Um, they're, they're, and it's all again like, like Travion Henderson had a good game. He, he had a I mean, he was solid, but he he didn't have a huge game. They he barely used throw. Jeremy Ruckert. He
1: didn't need to have a good game. I mean, when you have a kid like Smith and Chick, but just going off the way he was, I mean, Utah had absolutely no answers for him.
0: You don't have yeah. to have a
1: good game. You're just along for the ride at that point.
0: And, and for Stroud, I don't think we mentioned his numbers. <laughs> No, numbers.
1: No, I did mention his numbers as, as you did? accidentally started right. playing a video. Um, yeah, he threw for, I, I, I think that out of the- he threw for 573 yards and six touchdowns.
0: Incredible. Just an incredible performance. And I. Um, I, I think CJ Stroud's the number two quarterback, maybe the number one or number one quarterback coming in the country next season. Uh it's gonna be between him and Bryce Young and uh, also gonna be one of the early Heisman favorites. Uh as he already is, but an incredible performance out of him. Uh but I also think we also saw with Utah's secondary a little bit. Um Utah's a very good team. They're very well coached, but we kind of saw the talent disparity between them and and some of the other teams that Ohio State has, because nothing against Utah, but I don't think Penn State or Michigan in that scenario gives up 600 plus, almost 600 yards through the air. And I think it comes down to talent disparity to a point and a little bit of coaching. Not that Utah is a bad team, really good team. Uh, but I think Ohio State kind of exposed part of utah's flaws this year but i mean you look at it utah didn't face a good quarterback all year did they not really no i mean it depends how you want to describe good but you look at their schedule the best passing quarterback they faced i don't even know where to begin they didn't really face any good passing quarterbacks this year yeah, no, they they didn't. I mean, you think of their trouncing of
1: Oregon. I mean, was that their best quarterback? I don't even know who they really faced in the Pac-12. That was, you know, I really. mean, Oregon Thompson Robinson, UCLA, maybe. I don't really know. They,
0: they, they faced Slovis, and Slovis even passed for four hundred yards against them. Yeah, so I I,
1: I, their best, their best. quarterback. Well,
0: looking played. back on it, it's not really a surprise that Utah got torched in the secondary, but. Either way, great season for Utah, great game, an all-time classic. Let's um, quickly go through the other ones here. Um, Fiesta Ball, so we talked about it a little bit earlier. Notre Dame uh, gets the Marcus Freeman era off in, um, let's just say, a game that they will not want to remember for a long time. Uh, It looked like the Fine Irish are going to get their first New Year's sixth ball game win in like 20 years. They were up 28 to 7. 7, yeah. 28 to 7 going into the third quarter. Sorry, 28-14 going into the third quarter. They were once up 28-7. And in the second half, Oklahoma State scores outscores Notre 23 to 7 to win 37-35. And that's despite Jack Cone having one of his best game. Sorry, his best game ever going 38 for 68 for 509 and five touchdowns. Um, what really screwed Notre Dame here was that they could not run the ball. Uh 21 for 42 in the game. The longest run was 13 yards. Jack Cone could throw all day, but the problem was when Notre Dame – needed to run the ball to try to run out the clock here, shorten the game. They could not do it. And Oklahoma state was really just consistently getting chance after chance because while Cohn did throw 500 yards and five touchdowns, he also threw 30 incompletions in the game. And over time, those 30 incompletions stack up, uh, and result in extra possessions for their team. This case, Oklahoma state. And, uh, ultimately it ended up of course here cost Notre Dame in the end and a 38, sorry, 37, 35 loss. Uh, Spencer Sanders also came up with his best game of the season when I married the most.
1: Yeah, no, Spencer Sanders piggybacking off of that had a tremendous day. Um, 34, 51, 371 yards through the air and four touchdowns. And on the ground, he ran for 125 yards as well. So kind of flipping the script on what Notre Dame's problems were, where, where Notre Dame couldn't run the ball at all. Notre, um, Oklahoma State ran for over 200 yards in this game. So, yeah. you know, that plays such a huge part, too. Like, when you're up like that, what Notre Dame was, you need to be able to run the ball effectively to choose some clock. And in the second yeah. half, they just could not do that. And, okay. you know, Dak Cohn, you know, as much as he had a good day putting up 500 yards, it took him 68 pass attempts to get to 500 yards. Yeah. You don't want your quarterback ever throwing 70 times in a game. So... No. That was a story of the day for Notre Dame. Uh, great job by Oklahoma State's defensive front, you know, getting a great yeah. push the offensive line, preventing them from running the ball at all.
0: But, Secondary got exposed a little bit, but uh, yeah, when you keep the opposing team to two yards per rush and you still find a way to win the game, that's all that matters, especially when it's the last game of the season.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, both teams' secondaries got got doused a little bit, so it was yeah. kind of a game where. Neither uh, defensive back coach is going to be very happy with the performance. But, you know, I I think that at the end of the day, Oklahoma State got the win. And for Notre Dame, they haven't had a New Year's 6 win since the 90s. And this one's going to hurt for them. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, backtracking a little bit here. Uh, The Chick-fil-A Peach Ball, number 10 Michigan State, defeated number 12 Pittsburgh 31-21. Uh, Pitt going into the fourth quarter was up 21 10 in this game, but gave up 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to lose this game. Peyton Thorne 29 for 50, 354, and three touchdowns. Um, Pittsburgh, on the other hand, uh, they lost backup quarterback Nick Patty in the first quarter, right after their first drive of the game, uh, due to a shoulder injury, giving way to third string quarterback Davis uh, Bevel, uh, who. In all seriousness, 14 for 18, 149, a touchdown, just one interception. Not terrible, but they needed more out of their quarterback in this game to win it, especially against a Michigan State offense that could be explosive at, at times, as they learned in the fourth quarter. On the ground, however, I think the biggest takeaway was Michigan State's inability to run the ball. Thir- 36 carries, for 56 yards. Um, this, of course, without – their star running back in uh, Kenneth Walker III. Uh, is this what we're going to see out of Michigan State's offense in 2022 is my question. Because uh, if so, they are much a much less scary team in the Big Ten to have to face as they don't have a running back back there that is going to rush for 150 yards per game.
1: Yeah, I, listen, I think it's going to be very hard for them to replace um, Kenneth Walker and what he was able to do this past year. Um, I definitely think that they're going to take a little bit of a step back. I still think they'll be a, a solid team, but I don't think they're going to be as good as they were this year because they don't have that bell cow back that can absolutely go off and was a borderline Heisman candidate. Yeah. But for Pitt, I mean – it's a tough, it's a tough way to go out if you're Pitt because you gotta imagine if Kenny Pickett plays this game, they probably win by ten points. Sure, um, Davis Bevel played a pretty solid game, and he's their third-string quarterback. It just goes to show you how weak Michigan State's secondary was um, for the entirety of this season. And yeah, no, if if you're a Pitt fan, that's a that's a really tough way to lose. It's a really tough way to have to go out. It's gonna make you wonder what if for a long time because if you're if you're Pitt. You know this is this is normally the best type of game you, you play in, so yeah, it, it, like I said it three times already. That it's just a tough way for them to end their season.
0: Yeah, it definitely was a tough way for end the season, but still a very good season for Pitt. Uh, all right, uh, the Sugar Bowl, Baylor wins twenty-one-seven. Another game where we saw a starting quarterback go down. This time, He kind of alluded to it. Uh, for Ole Miss, Matt Corral goes down with a leg injury in the first quarter, uh, and he was replaced by uh, Luke Altemeyer, who got, had his moments but struggled a little bit, 15 for 28, 174, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, Jerrion Ely had a good game, 12 for 65, but Ole Miss's offense as a whole never really was able to get it together following Corral's injury. And uh, Bay- Bay- uh, this was a 7-7 game going in the fourth quarter. Baylor was able to get two touchdowns late in the fourth quarter, one of them coming, uh, a couple of plays after a pick six. Um, it's not a pick six, after an uh, interception. Uh, any big takeaways from this? I think the only one I have is that g- going into next year, Ole Miss needs to find a quarterback. Uh, hello, Caleb Williams, perhaps?
1: I think it makes a lot of sense. Imagine Caleb Williams with Lane Kiffin. That's a fun combination. But I think the story of this game was defense. Uh, even Baylor, you know, we talked about Altmeyer and how he didn't have the best of the games. Baylor's quarterback, Jerry Bohannon, passed for 40 yards on 7 of 17. So yeah. they ran the ball really well. Um, Abram Smith was the big winner on the day. Uh, 25 carries for 172 yards but the story of the day was defense. Baylor had 10 sacks in this game and nine tackles for loss. That is an absolute clinic on the defensive front. So Ole Miss's offensive line had a bad day, but Baylor's defense uh, was the winner in this game. And they were just phenomenal.
0: They really were. And I really have no other major takeaways. Kind of want to get into the championship game preview. Um, any other major takeaways for you?
1: None that I can think of. Kentucky played a good game against Iowa. Yeah.
0: Arkansas ran the ball to death against Penn State in the second half.
1: That they did. Uh, Purdue Tennessee was a great game. I know it's not a New Year's was, but that was that was a really fun game. A lot of controversy at the end there on if Tennessee should have been awarded a touchdown. That probably would have won the game. Won them the game. But give all the credit to Purdue. That was a classic game.
0: Really, really happy for Purdue. Yeah, that was uh, fantastic by Purdue. Great coaching job out of Jeff Brom against a team that a lot of people thought was a team for, in the SEC that could be uh, gaining momentum for a big 2022. I'm not saying SEC championship or anything, but Tennessee should be taking a step forward in 2022, and a bowl game victory, uh, even though it was a smaller bowl game over Purdue, still would have been a uh, big for the. Uh, Boilermakers. Uh, unfortunately, that's not a uh, uh, what happened for Tennessee. Um, all right, let's get into this SEC championship game, as kind of is. Let's get into this national championship game, uh, Alabama versus Georgia. Like I said, one versus number three. Um, all right, uh, where do you want to start in this game? Um, I guess let's start. Do you think Alabama should be favored to win this game?
1: I would favor Alabama to win this game, yes. If anything, I thought you were going to jump in there, but if anything, for the sole reason that Georgia has not proven that they can beat Alabama yet, it's been the same trend for years now. Until Georgia proves that they can climb the mountain, they can beat Goliath, I can't take Georgia to win this game. I just can't do it. Sure. It seems it, Like I said, I said this in the past. I think I said it on this podcast, too. It seems like Bama is Georgia's kryptonite. Absolutely. They one hurdle every year that prevents them from being the team
0: in college football. It's the hump that Georgia simply cannot get over. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think Alabama should be fair in this one. Um, the current line in this game, let me bring it up here. One second. Current line is. It's like Georgia minus two and a half. George, yeah, Bulldogs minus two and a half here. Um, I, I, I think Alabama should be favorite here, and I would have Alabama by a three point favorite at the least. I think the reason that this line is where it is is a little bit of recency bias. A lot of fans are looking at Alabama versus Cincinnati, and they're going to be thinking. Alabama should have blown out Cincinnati by thirty points, forty points, won that game in much bigger fashion. And then they look at what Georgia did to Michigan, Michigan being the very hyped up team that they were for the over the last month. And fancy, wow! Georgia really kicked Michigan's ass in all facets of the game. They're the better team here. They should have beat Alabama. The problem is I, and also without John Metchie. Alabama is a little bit of weaker team. Uh, But I look at it. uh, I think Alabama still has all the pieces to beat Georgia, despite the absence of John Matchie. They still have a great receiver core. They still have Brian Robinson, who is coming off the best game of his career. Um, I still think Alabama has everything it it takes to beat this Georgia team. I guess the biggest thing going for Georgia is – uh, the old adage that it's hard to beat the same team twice in one season. And if Alabama is going to win the national championship, it's going to take them beating Georgia twice, which Georgia's only lost one game this season. And if Alabama is able to deliver a second loss, both come from Alabama, uh, it would be impressive. But I just – there's very – not much I see out of Alabama in this – sorry, out of Georgia change-wise that makes me – feel confident that they could beat Alabama as it sits right now. I think they could, but I wouldn't say that confidently.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I had, I forget who told me, but it was one of my friends, that there have been five times in history where two teams have played each other twice. Uh, I forget if it's for championships or not, but they, the, the same team has never won twice in those matchups. So if you're looking at it like that, then sure, take Georgia in this game. And it would be a dumb decision to take Georgia. They were a really good team, but yeah, I just I, I find it very difficult to take to take Georgia in this one. Like, and we talk about this with Bama every single year. You know, they always have those games where they almost feel like they take their foot off the gas, and you say, "Oh, is Bama really as good as we think they are?" And then when the team that they need to show up for comes to town. They show up and they win decisively and then you realize, oh yeah, they're Alabama. They can flip the switch whenever they want. You know, maybe they kinda knew that they didn't have to throw the kitchen sink at Cincinnati. They didn't have to beat them by fifty. You know, they beat them by a healthy margin what they needed to do, and then they're gonna throw everything at Georgia in the game that truly matters. So I think that argument is a little short sighted in terms of, oh, they didn't exactly blow out Cincinnati, you know, Georgia blew out Michigan. Georgia could be Bama. I, I feel like we're gonna come back in a few days and we're gonna have this exact same conversation and it's gonna be Bama did it again.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel. And for me, the biggest thing when I have a toss up is I take the team with the better coach and the better quarterback if if possible. And in this one, Nick Saban's a better coach and than- Kirby Smart, it, it and it's not close. Kirby Smart is not a good game-day coach, in my opinion. He just simply isn't. He makes too many mistakes that if you want to be a cons- national championship head- level head coach, you can't make at the consistent rate he has in the past. Um, now, he's made fewer of those mistakes this year, but at the end of the day, I don't trust Stetson Bennett to be able to get it done against Alabama's defense and I don't think Stetson Bennett necessarily gives them the best chance to be an explosive offense because I don't think Georgia's defense, while they may stop Alabama a little bit more than they did in the SEC championship game, they're not going to completely shut down Alabama's offense. Alabama's going to get 21 to 24 points at the least in this game, and I'm just not sure I trust Stetson and Bennett and Georgia's offense to go – Tit for tat with Alabama's offense in this game if it turns into a shootout uh, or anything like, or if Alabama's offense plays anything like they did uh, a month ago in the SEC championship game. I just, Stetson Bennett's had a really good season. He's a great story. But you ask me who's a national championship level quarterback? Is it Stetson Bennett or is it Bryce Young? I'm never saying Stetson Bennett in that conversation.
1: No, I mean, listen, we all can agree that the reason why Georgia is here right now is because they have an elite defense. You know, their defense has carried them. They They have great receivers, they have solid running backs, and they have an awesome offensive line. But that defense is the biggest reason why they are sitting here in this game. Stetson Bennett, as serviceable as he's been, he's a game manager and he has had very little impact on the fact that they are at this point right now, outside of what he did last week. And I don't want to take anything away from Stetson Bennett, but you can plug a lot of different quarterbacks. Like, same with Michigan, what we said about Caden Actamara. You can plug a lot of different quarterbacks into into Georgia's system, and they'd be in the same spot they are right now. Yep. You know, I I 100% agree with you. Um, I'm not trying to just dump on Georgia all day. I think they absolutely have a chance in this game. You know, if Brock Bowers has a big day, if Zamir White has a big day, Georgia will absolutely have their opportunities to win this game. But at the end of the day... I just think Bama has too much star power. I just sure. think that they're too well-coached and all facets of the game, and at the end of the day, that's going to win out.
0: Sure. Now, as we're you – know, every reason why Alabama is going to win this game, let's talk about, for Georgia, what some keys to victory possibly. And I think the first one starts with what they didn't do well in the SEC championship game was get pressure on Bryce Young. Bryce Young is obviously a very, very good quarterback – but he can struggle under pressure uh, at times. I mean, you look at his season stats uh, under pressure this year. He was sixty-seven for one hundred and forty-four, a forty-six and a half percent completion percentage, sixteen touchdowns to three interceptions. Um, it's while he still had sixteen touchdowns, it is a bit of a bit of a quite quite a difference from the seventy-five point six percent. Uh, completion percentage when uh, not being pressured to 29 touchdowns and two interceptions. Obviously he's not going to throw a ton of interceptions, but uh, his ability to complete the passes is widely different when being blitzed and not being blitzed uh, or being under pressure in general. And while Georgia's secondary isn't the strongest part of their defense, they have the players and the playmakers in that secondary to take advantage of some bad passes if they can force them out of Bryce Young to potentially flip this game on its head.
1: Yeah, I no, 100% agree with you there. They're going to have to get pressure on Bryce Young because if he gets comfortable and he starts getting into a rhythm and he starts hitting those receivers downfield, Georgia's going to have a rough day. So if they can get consistent pressure on Bryce Young, keep him uncomfortable, keep him running around like out of the pocket, you know, having to scramble, you know, Georgia will do their job and they could they could have a chance to win this game. I think the biggest thing they need to do too is they need to do a better job containing those receivers. Obviously, John Mechie not playing in this game does play a factor and does play a role in, you know, how they can scheme around Jameson Williams because In the SEC Championship game, he went seven receptions for 184 yards and two touchdowns. They are going to have to contain Jamison Williams. You mentioned that secondary. They're going to have to scheme around him if they want a chance to win this game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I think for Georgia here is the red zone. They will need to really hatch down in the red zone while on defense and force – yeah, of course, any game you want to, but they really will, to win this game, they're going to have to force at least a couple field goals or turnovers in the red zone. Alabama could struggle here now without John Mechie. Uh, we saw Alabama struggle a little bit in the red zone against Cincinnati. Those could potentially now carry over in this national championship game, but that's going to be big for Georgia. If they can win the red zone battles, they'll have a great chance of staying to a point, tit to tit, tit-for-tat here with Alabama's offense, because if Alabama, let's say over three possessions or three red zone possessions, only gets 13 points, uh, I can see Georgia really, really elevating their chances to win uh, by keep, by just keep it, trying to keep it to field goals at the worst here. I mean, like I said, Alabama had their struggles in the red zone against Cincinnati they're going to have to make sure those red zone struggles continue again. And part of that is going to be trying to get Bryce Young um, off balance and uh, get pressure in his face and knocking down passes at the line, whatever it takes. Uh, I I think Georgia is going to have to get creative defensively, especially in the red zone.
1: Yeah. uh, One of the big stories from the SEC championship game, from what I remember, is, you know, Georgia was not able to go tit-for-tat with Alabama. You know, Bama would score touchdowns, and Georgia would get a touchdown or two, and then they would kick a bunch of field goals, and Bama would keep scoring touchdowns. And, you know, Georgia is going to have to, on the flip side, offensively, they're going to have to be consistently getting touchdowns. If, if they start finding themselves getting three points on, you know, multiple red zone trips, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, much like they ended up being in the SEC championship game. And the key for Stetson Bennett in this game, you know, obviously he had a great performance against Michigan, he just needs to not turn the ball over in this game. You know, they got to establish the run a lot better, obviously, but he needs to, in against Bamie through two interceptions, which ended up costing them. You know, he needs to not turn the ball over. He needs to get the ball in the hands of the playmakers and let them make plays. If he can do that, has yeah, a chance.
0: And Marty, uh, in his notes, uh, said a lot of what we said. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he, he said Georgia needs to get pressure on young. Um, like I said, young struggles against pressure. Um, and the sec championship game was actually the only game Georgia had this year in which they did not record a sack that obviously will have to also change in the national championship. Um, he also points out that, uh, Bryce young really struggled against cover one this year, which, uh, was surprised. I didn't, I didn't know uh stat, but against cover one this year, uh, Bryce Young has a 79.1 efficiency rating uh, and really struggled to complete any amount of his passes against uh, opposing defenses this year, including uh, just 38% completion uh, against Auburn. Even since Andy gave him struggles in that uh, aspect of the game as well. Like I said, Georgia needs to get creative uh and as he points out on the creativity side, using cover one will allow Georgia to g- have more uh, exotic blitzing uh formations uh, or plays uh, to potentially get that pressure on young and he also brought up the red zone uh issues for Alabama and how uh Georgia will need to take advantage of those as well
1: yeah no that's that's great analysis right there, buddy.
0: Really um, to that. No, I think that covered it perfectly. I guess, what is your gut on this? Right, right now, Marty is saying Georgia 27, Alabama 24. Ooh, wow.
1: Marty rocking with the dogs. i have to talk to him about that one. But no, I'm going to go – I'm going to say Alabama 31, Georgia 20.
0: That's my gut. Alabama 31, Georgia 20. I'm going to go Alabama 34, Georgia 17.
1: Well, you got it as more of like a blowout even than I do. I do. do. I I just –
0: I don't trust Kirby Smart in this game. I think he'll try to outsmart himself. And I don't trust Stetson Bennett to make the necessary plays against Alabama's defense. Not that Alabama's defense is any, you know, world beater this year, but uh, it, it'll still be very tough.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an exciting game, no matter what, and uh, I'm looking forward to Monday night. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, it'll be a phenomenal game. We'll be, of course, live tweeting on the Twitter account at collegefb three sixty five. Be sure to follow us on there. Be sure to follow our, our individual Twitter's that you can find on there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You can find us uh, on any podcast stream platform. So I'll be sure to subscribe to us. Leave a review on Apple and Spotify if you can. Share it with your friends. Uh, and uh, let this be the very first episode of what will be a great 2022 for the podcast. Any final words?
1: Oh, no. I thought you were going to end it there. We're good. Let's, let's send it out, baby.
0: All right. We'll talk to you guys next week to recap the National Championship game and uh, potentially more coaching moves, so talk to you then.